The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Your thoughts on the Kyrie situation? Well, I think it's pretty telling as far as like, how I think the the most upsetting thing to me about it was like the lack of sort of like support obviously for not just like the Jewish community but just like like anti-hate speech from other players and like coaches and people in the league in general like obviously it's not their responsibility to like account for or speak for Kyrie but the the few voices I did hear to speak about it were like mostly supporting his right to like say whatever he wants which I thought was really upsetting um there wasn't a lot of players coming out and being like, you know, like, for example, like, like Osman on the Cavs is a Jewish NBA player. It must have really sucked to have zero Cleveland Cavaliers come out and be like, hey, one of our teammates is Jewish. And like, this really sucks. Um, but uh, I like, I mean, I thought LeBron's statement on it at the time was great. I, since he's sort of like, you know, he said some stuff since then that like, weaken the statement a little bit because I think he honestly just wants Kyrie to be a Laker and so he's like trying to like lay the groundwork for that which I get on a basketball level and a human level it kind of sucks but um but yeah I don't know I mean I think it's like we're in such a weird time in history where like people can like say stuff like that and kind of be okay and it's like what like can you imagine like even I don't know in like the George W. Bush time like not even like Obama like before that, like even like that was a pretty dark time in American history. We were like invading Middle Eastern countries and like it was pretty bad. I mean, like George Bush was like very problematic in his own ways. But like, can you imagine someone just saying something like wildly anti-Semitic and like survive weathering that storm at all? Like it just it it was outrageous, you know, and like a lot of stuff that's said now, I feel like I think we got so desensitized to like so much insane horrifying stuff being like hurtled at us every single day like like a different crazy thing that Trump was saying a different mass shooting a different like potential world war like every day that we were sort of just like oh like look at your phone something horrifying okay yeah now I have to go to Starbucks so I guess I'll deal with that later um and so I think people are sort of like 
I think they have like a shock exhaustion. Like yeah. it, people just are, it's really hard to be outraged all the time. And it's actually not, they shouldn't be like, it's really bad for you. So I think when something like the Kyrie thing happens, it's just like, Oh, there's a fucking Kyrie being Kyrie. And I think people were rightfully really upset, but I think how can you ma maintain being upset about something like that for longer than like two or three days? Like you just can't, there's so much else going on. Yeah. Um, and it was, it felt like there were these other groups that were mad because quote unquote, Kyrie didn't do anything really, you know? And yeah. so they're like, Oh, Kyrie's being, you know, un like drugged through the coals on something that's very insidious, very yeah. painful, but that, there wasn't an even I don't know if you saw this, but Jay Williams went on Ryan Clark's podcast and no. they were basically like, yeah, Kyrie's just trying to figure out his heritage and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and it's like, no, see, yeah. the facts don't support that. Right. No. The facts don't support that the sort of crux of what he's trying to do and getting at and and discovering is not something to discover. And that discovery sort of puts other people's history and co-ops that history in a really insidious way. Yeah. And it was also just like, it's not even just this idea. Cause I mean, the fundamental idea of, I think what he was like get trying to get behind was this idea that the original, that like, like the black Israelites and that the original Jews are actually black and that has been wiped from history. And it's like, that's a conspiracy theory, but like, I understand why that would be intriguing to you. If you're someone like Kyrie, who like has historically been drawn to conspiracy theories and drawn to like, Oh, people are trying to hide my history from me. The other problem that I think was like the bigger problem was that the actual piece of uh, film slash literature that he was promoting had a bunch of other stuff in it. Like Hitler wasn't that bad type of stuff. Yeah. So like that stuff comes with it and you don't get to like cherry pick um, and the way he reacted to it was super like, well, I'm entitled to do whatever. And you guys are the ones saying that I'm promoting it. I'm just like tweeting it. And that's not a promotion. Like he was just being kind of like, I feel like kind of petulant in his response. And I think that also was part of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think like, and, and also this is like, obviously such a complicated nuanced issue because like, I think a lot of people's responses in Kyrie's defense are pointing out something which is just fundamentally true, which is that like Jewish people, I, and I am one, as much as we have been persecuted and there is racism and hatred against us, we also, the majority of us benefit from white privilege, which is a real thing. So it's not just like cut and dry, like hatefulness and cut and dry um, prejudice that we're dealing with, because we're also beneficiaries of like very real privilege at the same time. And so I think that like a lot of people who are coming to Kyrie's defense are responding really less to like the actual problem at hand and more to like years and years and years of being victims of racism. Um, and I think that's totally understandable. And I have a lot of empathy for that. So that's why I'm sort of like, oh, it's real complicated because it's like the people who look like the people who are being, you know, victims of prejudice in this instance are the very same looking people for the most part who have made black people's lives a living hell like that's just white people across the board i'm not saying jewish people specifically but like white people in general so right. like i think that that's understandable that there would be like complicatedness there and it wouldn't just all be like oh kumbaya we're all in this together because we're all persecuted and we're all like marginalized like there's marginalization is obviously like very complicated and and there's a lot of nuance there so 
I just wish that people like Kyrie were more like willing to actually educate themselves and like not just like watch a YouTube video and think that they have all the answers. Um, and also something that I think is a, a problem that is born out of internet culture is like reluctance to admit when you're wrong. Like, yeah. I think that like when he realized what he promoted, I think he just was too proud to be like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. There's some bad shit in that video, you know? And let's be honest, like he didn't watch that movie. He didn't watch the whole thing. No, oh, he probably yeah. watched like a clip from it. So that's the thing is like, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all maybe like promote something that ends up being problematic. Like whatever, like just own it. Just be like, my bad. This was actually really messed up. I actually don't believe this because it's not real. So that's yeah, hopefully like, that's that we can at least get that far as a human race that we can like, if we're going to keep being dead wrong, at least maybe we can like own it at some point and like be willing to like grow and move on from it and not just like die on every single hill. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So let's talk a little Lakers. Yeah. Because there's oh, a lot. Girl, there's a I lot mean, going on. Where to begin? <laughs> It feels like the season's already, like, had a full one, right? There's We're been three years. seasons. It's yeah. insane. 0-5, and then the sort of, like, middle zone, and then this crazy dominance from Anthony Davis, which, yeah, I mean, his nickname is Data Davis, right? That's his nickname. Yeah. Close. Uh, I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think that the – and maybe it still won't, right? No, like, yeah, maybe. I'm not fully convinced yet, but, but he's been amazing for sure. So – like, what do you think has changed for the Lakers from going 0-5 and people saying, hey, trade everyone to – and, like, trade Russ and maybe waive Russ. Including Ruff, me. Including, <laughs> I definitely said that. <laughs> yeah. Trade him or waive him or get rid of him to whatever yeah. version that we see now. And, and what is that version now? I mean, I think there's honestly so many things that broke right for the version of the Lakers right now where they're winning. I think the most important thing that changed is that Anthony Davis is healthy and he's super motivated and he's playing like absolute peak Anthony Davis. And I think, you know, coach Ham said in the off season, like that's everything for this team. Like if Anthony Davis is playing like an MVP, it's a completely different story. So I think that's the biggest thing that's changed is he came out at the beginning of the season, looking a little like, not like apathetic, but just like he wasn't giving a thousand percent like he is now. And he seems like he's just on a tear. Like he's just like has something to prove now, which I think he should have to begin with. But that's one. Two, I mean, like it sounds inconsequential, but like they did have some players that were out to start the season. Like Dennis Schroeder, I think, is like a good bench option for a point guard. He wasn't available. Um, Thomas Bryant was also out like those aren't going to like change your season, but it is a factor. Like they weren't fully, fully healthy. Obviously the Westbrook thing, I think he was very resistant to coming off the bench in the beginning. He said that it was going to be a cause of injuries because he didn't know how to stay warm. If he was coming off the bench, he was being like a big, big baby about it. And I do think at first when they brought him off the bench, they kind of tried, like they tried him in the like 
having him, you know, start and then immediately come off the floor and then come off the bench. They kind of tried, they really tried to be bullish on having him in closing lineups. That really doesn't work. So I think having him just like in a straight up bench role, like not opening, not closing, just right in the middle has been super helpful. Um, and then LeBron is like, you know, finding his rhythm. He had a really rough start to the season and he's looked a lot better in recent games. He had, you know, tweaked his ankle, kind of tweaked his, had a groin injury come back. So like, I think LeBron playing at the level that he's capable of, AD playing at the level he's capable of, and everybody else kind of buying in. I still don't think that's like a championship team personally, because like, I think that they do, if in my ideal world, like they at least need to move Patrick Beverly and a pick, if not Russ. Um, but they're way more fun to watch now and they're not a complete disaster. They're like a play-in team at least. So that's, I mean, that's way better than what they were to start the season. It was like some of the most depressing basketball I've ever seen. It was joyless, skillless, like death. It was so bad. And the amount of, of air ball brick three, it was just, it was so bad. So so freaking bad. Yeah. So bad. You said that you thought the Lakers were in a toxic relationship with Russell Westbrook in the yeah. Guardian. You think that's true still? I mean, I think it's complicated because I think they're in that weird. If I had to describe where they are in their relationship, just to, to keep going with the metaphor I was using in the piece, which is that they're in this long-term relationship that like maybe wasn't very thought out. And like, maybe you like have a really fun couple of weeks with someone on vacation and then you move in together and then you're like, oh, we actually have like nothing in common. This is kind of a disaster. Like in keeping with that metaphor, I think they've been to couples therapy. I think they're both trying to work it out. I don't think, I mean, for sure it's over after this season. I mean, at the very most, it's going to be one more season. They're not going to bring him back. Um, if they did, they'd be absolutely insane. And, and I, I really don't think they will. Um, I still think it would probably be better to trade him. Like, even though it's going better, a $47 million bench player is like not the best case scenario for anyone. Like he would way prefer to have a bigger role, I think, on a different team. And they would way prefer to have that $47 million broken up into a couple of other bench players that could be equally helpful and impactful, um, but more of them. So I still think if they could trade him with one pick, I would still say to do it. I think it's it's going well enough now that if they would have to use two picks to trade his contract halfway through the season, yeah, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they're it's working enough and you know they can probably move Beverly and get somebody back. Um, but it's one of those things. It's like I think I said this in the article. It's like if someone starts doing the dishes, but you don't agree, one of you wants kids and one of you doesn't. It's like yeah, that's great that you're doing the dishes now, but like we still want completely different things. And I feel like that's the Russell Westbrook thing is like, it's going better, but at the end of the day, they both know it's not right. So I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm like sort of, I still think it would be preferable for them to move him, but I understand that it's looking a lot better and I understand why they wouldn't. One of the things that was like really prominent chatter was that the Lakers would be really the only asset that they really have. I mean, because, right, like, Russell Westbrook's not an asset. He's a liability, which is why you have to attach picks to him in order to get rid of him, right? So the only asset that, you know, the chatter was that they really could trade was AD, right? 
AD yeah. last nine, 34, 16, three with a steal and three blocks. But before those nine games, like he was very suspect play. Like you said, yeah. apathetic, probably not going to get a lot back for AD at that point. Which is probably. ridiculous because it's just a few games. I mean, people yeah. are so, they have like fly memories. It's like he, like when the Lakers traded everything they traded for him, like no one, people thought that was a lot, but they weren't like, that's preposterous. They're like, this is one of the top five best players in the league. Since that time, he's won a championship and then, you know, dealt with some injuries that were a lot of which I think a lot of the discourse about it is kind of silly because like a lot of it is really bad luck. Like, like it's kind of like Joel Embiid. Like I feel like Joel Embiid's just had bad injury luck. Like, yes, he does. He need to learn how to fall so that he doesn't like hurt himself. Like, yeah, he should probably be better at falling as like an enormous person, but like, People were like, like someone just like hit him in the face and like broke his face bone, like stuff like that. Like 80, someone just like stepped on him. So to some degree, I think it's a little overblown the like, uh, you know, the Anthony Davis, like speculation about like, can he stay healthy? But I get it. But I think there was like some luck involved there as well. You think, you think AD and Embiid are cursed with the injury bug? I mean, shit, man, like they kind of feel a little cursed because because there's like I said, there's just so much bad luck involved. Um, But also, yeah, I think when you're that big, there's just like bodies aren't really supposed to be that tall. (laughs) So just things go wrong. I mean, I think any big man in the league is going to deal with a certain level of injury, especially to the like lower half of the body, because that's just a lot of weight. And like, that's why people worry about, about Zion is like, it's just a lot of weight, like on the upper half of your body to be running around with like pounding, like your feet, you're going to have feet, foot and ankle issues when you have like, you know, that much weight and height on, on your body. But I don't know, LeBron's like six, nine and he stayed pretty damn healthy. So (laughs) I don't know. Different dudes too, right? Like, yeah. Some of the discourse around LeBron versus AD is like work ethic related. And yeah. so you wonder what would flip, what the switch has flipped, like between the AD that we've seen in the last two years oh. and this version of AD, like you said, hyper motivated. Like, why do you think that light switch has gone on? Do you think that that's a Darvin Ham related switch flipper? Like, does Frank Vogel bring this side out of AD? Do you think? I think. Like Darvin Ham deserves a ton of credit because from, from everything I've heard from like inside the organization and from them themselves, like they have a great relationship. I think they have like a great relationship, not just as player coach, but like as people, I think they have a lot of mutual respect for each other. Darvin is awesome. Like I spent, I, I mean, I went to like five home games when I was working on that rest piece and um, every minute I spent around Darvin, I was just like, oh yeah, like you could. I would literally trust this man with my life. I don't know him at all, but he's just like, has such a presence about him. He has such a like, like calming, like paternal presence. And I think that works really well for some players. Like, um, and I think it's, it's really resonated with AD. Like AD is a pretty sensitive soul, I think. And um, I think Darwin is like, just communicated really well with him. So I do think he deserves some credit. I mean, I also think like, I feel like AD is kind of in like his MJ. I took that personally era. Like you had Bill Simmons speculating after the first few games of the season, like should the Lakers even bother trading AD? Is he worth anything? Could they even get like a fraction of what Utah got for Rudy Gobert? You know, like he was saying stuff like that. And at a certain point, I mean, like you should take that personally. 
You know, you should be like, excuse me, I'm Anthony fucking Davis. Like, lest you forget. Yeah. So I think it's a combo. I think it's like Darvin Ham's, a, I, I think, a really good coach. And and especially on the personnel side of things. I mean, on the X's and O's side of things, I feel like, yeah, he's he's made some questionable decisions at times. But I think the major, the most important thing about being a coach is like how you deal with personalities and egos. And um, especially in a situation like the Lakers, where there's three enormous personalities, like um, enormous stars, like that's really difficult to deal with. Um, so I think for sure credit to him. And I think AD also has just started to be like, have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about it. Yeah. I remember one of the biggest videos that I did when the podcast first started was, is AD soft? And yeah. I remember. It's been a storyline for sure. It really has. Yeah. And it's and a valid this, question. And this was like maybe two years ago. And yeah. I remember in the postseason when they went, they played the Suns. It was like right before that he was like, there's just a lot of people calling me soft right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can tell that these guys read a lot and, and watch a lot and absorb mm -hmm. a lot. And you talk about Darvin Ham as a, as a coach and what he's done from just an X's and O's perspective. Like this is probably Anthony Davis said this is his third or fourth best stretch in his career, but I went through his career game by it's game. It's gotta be the best stretch of his career. It is. It's the best game, nine game stretch. And it like he's never averaged 34 16 three with one steal and three blocks yeah for 46 percent from three 65 percent from the field his best stretch besides that was 2018 he had five 40 point games he averaged 33 15 and two with three steals and two and a half blocks and listen like it's just a different version it's almost yeah. like breaking the wheel in terms of how offense is being run like you have maybe one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA. So like, let's yeah. just not shoot threes anymore. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I think, and I think it's funny too, because it's almost like when they let that go, like when they kind of just accepted, like, that's not our team identity, the shots started falling too. Like their jump shots have been better and their shooting percentage has gone up um, from three, because I think, first of all, like obviously the percentage is going to go up as you take less of them because they were taking so many and like, it's, you can't make, like making nine out of 10 threes is a lot harder than making like one out of three. But um, I, I also think, yeah, they kind of like accepted and leaned into like AD just like punishing people, um, which is great. I don't know. It worries me a teeny bit as far as sustainability. It's a long season and that's a lot of wear and tear his body's taking. He's taking a ton of fouls and just like a lot of abuse. Um, so it does worry me, but he looks like he's in great shape.